Good morning and thank you so much for joining us for this live stream Sunday morning worship service, the last Sunday of April 2020. Everybody knows we're living in this unusual season. And you know, I, I was thinking earlier this week, I kind of feel like I'm in an airplane that's circling the airport waiting to land. It's kind of like life to a great extent is on hold. And all I want is to get this thing on the ground and start running again. But, you know, in this unusual season, regardless of how we might be feeling, regardless of what ramifications we might be dealing with individually, the question today that I want to bring to you is, in this season, what kind of people would God have us be? What is God asking of us? What does God want to do in us and for us and through us in this unusual season? You know, the crowds, the masses are following different voices. The question today is, whose voice are you following? Who are you listening to? Who are we following? Last week, I began a series, short series, simply called Extraordinary. I believe God is looking for people who want to follow him and become extraordinary in these unusual times. In the dictionary, extraordinary simply means beyond what is usual, beyond what is ordinary or regular or what is established. It means to be exceptional, exceptions to the rule. And you know, so many people are scattered. So many people are living in fear with questions, not knowing what's coming next. But we've got God's word to anchor our lives. And I believe God wants us to rise up and live out his word and live exceptional lives in this season. I want to just take a minute and set up where I want to go with this today. Last week when I began this series, you know, I shared some thoughts that I just want to refer to for a moment. You know, so many of us don't really want to make waves. We don't want attention. And yet God is looking for people who will set the pace for society and be extraordinary. Not proud people, not arrogant people, not self-reliant people, not pharisaical people, but people who are not satisfied following the negative, hopeless narrative of society. People who will rise above the ordinary to become extraordinary. That's the kind of person that I think God wants us to be in this season. You know, Jesus always stood out from the crowd. Extraordinary people do. Jesus stood out from the crowd because he was God in the flesh. He was the living word of God. He saw things from God's perspective, which made him extraordinary. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we're going to stand out from the crowd and be extraordinary. But the truth is, what we accept as truth what we wrap our hearts around and what we believe creates ruts in our thinking, in our minds. It's like ruts on a dirt road, and I gave you a good illustration of that last week. But these ruts create thought patterns that re they produce responses and actions to the challenges of life that we face. And those responses are not always good, and they're not always godly. So... To become extraordinary, we need to change the ruts in our minds that don't line up with the word of God. Romans 12, 1 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be 
transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Change your thinking to think like God thinks. And if we can change those ruts, we can create new paths for our lives and we can live extraordinary lives. So what usually keeps us from being extraordinary? Well, I think the most common thing, and I referred to it last week, 2 Corinthians 10, we tend to allow the enemy to shape our thinking with things that don't line up with God's word. And Paul said they become strongholds. And he defined those strongholds really in two different ways. He said it's natural logic, it's natural thinking, and it's thinking that produces limitations to what God can do in us and for us and through us. They're belief systems that really contradict and argue with the word of God. And he said they're, they're strongholds. It's like the enemy building his own fortress in our minds and we can't get past it. We can't move on in those areas of life. And it shapes our lives. You know, Paul encouraged us to take control of our thoughts and bring them into captivity and demand that they line up with the word of God. And in that passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul actually said that we fight two kinds of battles. We fight a natural battle, carnal battle, and then, second of all, we fight spiritual battles. But we need to be able to define the difference between natural battles and spiritual battles because each kind of battle demands and requires different kinds of weapons. You know, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 55, the Lord spoke through Isaiah and God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. In other words, thoughts produce ways. God says, if you don't have my thoughts, you won't have my ways. Ways refers to paths or roads. If I don't have God's thoughts, I can't walk God's paths. But if I have God's thoughts, I can walk God's paths and I can have God's results benefits and blessings in every area of my life. God has given us his word to establish his thoughts in us. He wants us to know his promises so we can pursue those promises, believe those promises, hold on to those promises, and believe and expect God to produce those things in our lives. But if we're not lining our thinking up with God's word, there's so much that we never expect so much we don't believe for, and so much that we never receive in this life. We've got to change those ruts. You know, in the Old Testament, two different occasions, once in Jeremiah, once in Hosea, the, these prophets spoke up and said, we need to break up hardened, fallow ground, ground that's not been plowed, or ground where there are ruts that are formed that are wrong. We need to let God come in and plow up all of that ground and change the way that we think. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. He said, if the word falls on hard ground, it can't take root. But if we'll plow up that ground and tear out those ruts, God will plant his word in our hearts and in our minds, and it'll change the pathway of our lives, and we'll see God begin to bless every area of our lives. There ever was an extraordinary person in the Bible I think it had to be David, the giant killer. You know, one of the best-known stories in all the Bible is David and Goliath. And I'm going to talk about that today just for the next few minutes. And the story of David and Goliath is so important because 
God chose a shepherd boy who had a heart for God, who wanted to know the ways of God and the thoughts of God and follow God. God took that shepherd boy and not only made him a giant killer, he made him the king of his people. Maybe the best known person in scripture beside Jesus. But having said that, I want to look today at the battle between David and Goliath. And real quickly, out of 1 Samuel 17, I don't have time to read the whole chapter. Read it sometime today or sometime this week. There's, I think, 40-some verses there. It tells a great story. It'll really speak to you. But I want to look at seven thoughts real quickly, seven things that David knew that made him victorious in battle. And I think we can learn from these things today. 1 Samuel 17, we're going to begin skipping through the chapter, beginning at verse number 10. And the Philistine, Goliath, said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In essence, Goliath came out and said, look, I'm the champion of the Philistines. We don't know exactly in our measurements today how big he was, but he was a giant of a man. He was bigger probably than any man we've ever seen. A lot of Bible scholars believe he was eight, nine feet tall, maybe even taller than that. And he was well-trained. He was coordinated. He was an amazing warrior. He was the champion of the Philistines. And he said, instead of the whole nation going to war, nation against nation, just send out one man to fight me. Just one champion from the camp of Israel. Come and face me. Verse number 11. When Saul, who was the king... And all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, you have to understand the weight of these verses. It says that Saul, the king of Israel, who, when he was crowned king of Israel, he was taller than anybody else in camp. He was a big, strong guy. He was afraid of Goliath. And Scripture tells us that all of the people of Israel were dismayed and greatly afraid. The word dismayed means to be broken down mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It means to fall down on your face and prostrate yourself because you are terrorized and you don't know what to do. They were dismayed. They were broken down. Everybody in Israel broken down because of this one giant of a man, Goliath. Now look at verse number 16. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So it became a habit. Not only did he terrorize Israel, he kept doing it day after day after day after day after day for 40 days. Verse 24 tells us, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man Goliath, fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. They were absolutely terrorized when they saw this guy and they heard his voice. In just a few moments, we're going to bring David into the scene. You know, Goliath is taunting, defying the armies of Israel. He's out there saying, what's wrong with you people? Are you cowards? Are you afraid? I mean, read between the lines. He's terrorizing them. He's got them living in fear. They are fearing every moment of every day that this guy's going to come down and destroy them all by himself. In the middle of all of this, while everybody is shrinking and hiding, this boy, this teenager, David, shows up in camp, bringing food and supplies to his brothers. And he begins to hear the cry of Goliath. And when he heard the cry of Goliath, number one, David knew that Goliath's threats were a spiritual battle. 
This was a spiritual battle. David knew it. Nobody else in the camp knew it, but David knew it. This is a spiritual battle. Saul, the king, the leader of the army, he thought it was a physical battle. And the biggest man in Israel, he didn't want to go fight. He was afraid because he thought it was a physical battle. All of Israel, all of the armies, everybody there, they were all afraid. Nobody wanted to fight Goliath because they saw it as a natural physical battle. But David knew it was a spiritual battle. Goliath threatened to take what God had promised to his people. You see, the minute David walked in and began to hear this giant of a man make all these threats, he began to defy the people of Israel and he began to tell them what he was going to do to them. David knew that's a lie. That's not the truth. That's not God's will. That's not God's plan. This is not a natural battle. This is a spiritual battle because the enemy is trying to take away what God has promised to us. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. When the enemy's trying to steal from you what God has promised, you need to understand that is a spiritual battle. Don't take it on with flesh and blood. Fight it in the realm of the spirit with spiritual weapons and God will give you victory. And then scripture also tells us that Goliath defied the armies of Israel by his own God. He said, in the name and the strength and power of my own gods, I will defeat you. When David heard that, he realized, wait a minute. He's not just calling us out on a physical level. He's calling out our God. He said his God is greater. And David knew from the moment he first heard his voice, this is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And God has never lost a spiritual battle. God does not Lose. He's the greatest heavyweight champion of all times. He's never lost a war. You know, it's interesting. David knew that Goliath had no right to threaten God's people. He knew this guy is not telling the truth. You know, in the New Testament, in John chapter 8, Jesus one day was talking to the Pharisees and they were going back and forth as they oftentimes did. And in the middle of this conversation in John chapter 8, down at verses 44 and 45, I'm going to jump in the middle of it. But Jesus said, Satan does not stand in the truth. He doesn't stand in the truth. He once was in the truth, but he rebelled against God. He's been cast down with a third of the angels of heaven. And now he doesn't stand in the truth. When Satan speaks, he's not telling you the truth. Jesus went on to say, there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. And he's not only a liar. Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies. How do you know when Satan's lying? His mouth's moving. Anytime you hear his voice, anytime you hear his threats, you got to know this is a spiritual battle and he's not telling the truth. I don't want to accept what he says. I don't want to let him dig ruts in my mind. I don't want him to set the course of my life. I want to believe God because this is a spiritual battle. And I'm going to fight it with the weapons of spiritual warfare. One of Satan's greatest weapons against us is fear. It usually begins with confusion. And then it goes to doubt. And then when we let it sit there and we don't settle the matter with God's word, we begin to let it 
bring ruts in our minds and shape our thinking. The first thing you know, we're living in fear. That's what happened to Saul and the armies of Israel. They believed the lies of Goliath because they didn't recognize it was a spiritual battle. They didn't trust God. They trusted their own strength. If we misunderstand our battles, we will use the wrong weapons. You know, some people are kind of like spiritual pacifists. Well, you know, I, I don't, don't want to fight. Let me tell you something. Spiritual pacifists never win battles. They choose to live in fear. And I know there'll be somebody who hears this today who says, well, you know, I don't want to be an extremist. That sounds a little extreme to me. Let me just break it down, make it really simple. Do you want to kill giants or do you want Goliath living in your backyard? That's what it comes down to. If it's a spiritual battle, God has already provided spiritual weapons to put the enemy in his place and get him out of your life. So number one, define what the battle is. Is it spiritual? Is it carnal? If it's spiritual, take it to God, follow his instructions, and he'll give you victory. Number two, look at verse number 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? They're talking to David now. You know, David's saying, wait a minute, what's going on with this guy? Who is this guy? He's defying our God. He's making fun of us. He's lying to us. Who is he? And they said to him, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David, verse number 26 David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27, the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. In other words, well, let's, let me tell you again, this is what's going to happen. Verse 29, skip down there. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? You see, David speaks up and says, hey, if nobody else wants to fight this guy, I'll go out and I'll kill him. He's got no right to do this to us. God's bigger than this opponent that we're facing right now. David looked and realized when he heard Goliath, when he heard the word about what's going on, he realized, number two, defeating Goliath would bring great reward into his life. If I kill him, we're free of Goliath. But if I kill him, are you kidding me? No more taxes? Let me tell you something. You bring Goliath around today. If I can get free of taxes, I'll fight him. It's worth it. David said, man, no more taxes. Wow. All of my family's free of it the rest of our lives. Bring him on. And then he said, not only that, he's going to make me wealthy and give me his daughter. The king is. Wow. I'm going to be royalty. I'm going to be living in the king's house. I'm going to be living the dream life if I kill this giant. David realized beyond the battle, there was great reward. Friend, you may be fighting some big battles today. And maybe as you listen to this, you're realizing some of my battles are spiritual battles. They're not carnal. They're not natural. They're spiritual battles. Have you ever stopped to think what might lie on the other side of that battle if you'll fight it and win? You know, his brother, 
oldest brother and his other brother, David, David, what are you doing? What are you talking, man? Go back home with the sheep. You're just out here trying to get attention. Go back home where you belong with that handful of sheep. They're putting him down. And all the while, David's saying, is there not a cause for which to fight? Isn't there a reason to fight? Not just to be free of this giant, but all this reward, all the amazing life we can have if we will kill this giant. Friend, let me tell you something. God has better plans for you than you have for yourself, but you got to fight some spiritual battles to get there. There's great reward that lies behind these victories. You know, many years ago, when I was first starting out in ministry, I went to a seminar. It was actually a training to help you with Christian counseling and helping people navigate some problems of life. And the instructor, well-known minister, made this statement. He said, people will remain the same until the pain of changing is less than the pain of remaining the same. You know, sometimes we carry so much for so long. And it's only when it hurts more to stay the same than it does to change do we finally rise up to fight? Let me tell you something today. Don't wait until you're desperate. Where you know things are out of line, where you know the ruts are there, get in and dig them up and let God plant the good word, the good seed in your heart and let it change your thinking and change the course of your life. Start living all of God's blessings now. Don't wait for the enemy to come in and assault you. See where he's at and go after him now. Silence him now before he takes liberty from you. Stand up. Stand up to him. Because there's great, great reward beyond the battle. Is there not a cause? Is there a reason to fight today? Your blessings that God's promised, your family, your children, your grandchildren, on and on and on it goes. Your health, your provision. There's a cause for which to fight. Let's not give in to the enemy. Let's choose to fight. Number three, skip down to verse 28. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why'd you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. It's interesting that when David spoke up and said, I'll go fight, his brother got upset, his oldest brother. Now, there could be a lot of baggage here because David had already been anointed by Samuel to be king. It could be he was jealous. It could, could have been a lot of family dynamics happening here. But it's interesting to me that his oldest brother begins to try to shame him and put him down. Saul hears the rumor going through the camp. There's somebody here who wants to fight Goliath. And Saul brings him in and looks at him and says, man, you, you can't fight this guy. You're just a youth. And this is a big warrior. He's well-trained in battle. Number three, David knew that not everyone believed what he believed. David knew not everybody knows the God that I know. 
You know, if you read through this story, really there are four names mentioned. There's Goliath, there's David, there's Eliab, David's oldest brother, and then there's King Saul. Goliath taunted the armies of Israel. Saul stood in fear. Eliab was afraid to go. All of them were dismayed and broken down. But this one young man, David, who had a heart for God and the things of God, he knew his God. And David realized not everybody else knows what I know. Not everybody else believes what I believe. Now, why is this important today? Some people are never going to see what you see. We need to encourage people. We need to try to help people take their next step of faith. But we also need to be careful about putting people down. We need to try to encourage people, not discourage them. And let me go one step further. Don't argue with people. Don't argue with people about the greatness of God. If people don't want to believe God, try to encourage them and help them to take their next step of faith. But don't argue with them because it only builds walls between us. It only causes them to dig deeper ruts in their hearts. Don't argue with people. Encourage them in faith. Because not everybody's going to see what you see. You see the picture, the crowd. There's masses of people, and every now and then there's one who stands out in the crowd. If you're standing out in the crowd, don't expect the rest of the crowd to see and know what you see and know. Love them, encourage them, speak positive things into their lives, but don't get into arguments with them. David didn't argue with them. He just kept saying, hey, God will give me victory. God will give me victory. I can kill the giant. Let me at him. I can take care of this problem. That's an extraordinary attitude that all of us need to have. David knew that not everyone believed what he believed. But he went forward in God, regardless of what everybody else thought. You know what's interesting about this is, later on in life, if you study out the life of David after he became king, even until he was older... David taught other people how to kill giants. Let's teach people how to kill giants. Let's not shame them and put them down and be arrogant towards them. Let's teach people to be giant killers. Let's cause people to rise up and live extraordinary lives. Number four. Look at verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Now, now stop here a moment. It's pretty amazing stuff. This young shepherd boy, this teenage kid said, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear. I rose up, I grabbed the lion by its beard and I took him down and destroyed him. He said, I've got a little bit of a track record with God. Let's read a little further. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. See, what David's saying is, this guy is not in covenant with God. He's lying. He can't do what he says. Let me at him. I've got a track record with God. And here's what David came to. Number four, David knew God can be trusted. He won't fail us. Friend, let me tell you today, you can trust God. 
You may not be able to trust anybody else in this whole world, but you can always trust God. You can always trust his word. It's forever settled in heaven. It's yes and amen, so be it. It's done. God is looking for people who will believe him and cause their mind and their thinking and their ways to be shaped by his word. If we will live out the word of God, we will walk in the victory of the life of God. That's the life he has for us. But we've got to trust him. We've got to trust him. David knew God can be trusted. Now look at verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on him. He also clothed him with a coat of mail or a breastplate. Verse 39. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. But David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I've not tested them. So David took them off. There's always somebody who's got a new idea of how we can overcome the challenges of life. A lot of times those new ideas are not spiritual ideas and they don't always line up with the word of God. You know, David put on Saul's armor and said, man, this doesn't fit me right. And not only that, I, I can't move around right. I don't know if I can, I can't function with this. And besides that, I've never tried this. I don't know if it'll work or not. Can I tell you something? This is something that will always work. It will never, ever, ever fail. You can trust God. He will not fail you. Believe his word. Trust his word. Act on his word. David told Saul, man, I got a track record with God. How, how many people do you know who've killed a bear and a lion with their bare hands? Huh? I've got a track record. I can trust God. I can't go with your armor. I'll trust God because God knows how to win his battles. If it's a spiritual battle, you need to fight it with God's spiritual weapons. If you do, you cannot lose. Don't forget your victories. Don't forget the great things God's done in your past. You know, in the Old Testament, they're always referring to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason they're doing that is they're going back to God's track record and said, this is the God who was with them there. This is the God who's with us now. What he has done, he will do. When the need arises, he will be there. We need to build on our past victories and know God will not fail. You can trust him today. Don't let anybody talk you out of trusting God. Don't let anybody give you a new philosophy. Trust God. His word will not fail. Number five, real quickly, look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, with the spear, and with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. The, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. Number five. David knew. Spiritual battles belong to God, not us. The outcome of spiritual battles, they're in God's hands. How you win the war, how you're going to overcome this, you're going to do it by trusting God. The battle is his. A lot of times we try to take these battles on and fight them in our own strength. 
We try to do it our own way, thinking that we have to win the battle. Let me tell you something. If you'll trust God, he will fight for you. Once we identify the enemy and we know it's a spiritual battle, the battle becomes God's battle. The victory is his. Let me, let me take it one step beyond. When you realize you're in a spiritual battle, when you go to God and you trust God, your battle becomes God's battle. God takes it personal. When the enemy threatens you and you shake your head and say, no, I'm not going to believe you. I'm going to trust God. God steps up and says, here, let me, let me stand with you. Reminded of a story years ago about a little kid that kept going to school and there was a, you know, three neighbor kids that kept bullying him. They were older and bigger and they kept bullying him. And his dad told him, said, son, you got to stand up to those bullies. Don't back down. One day after school, he started home and these three billies got in his face and he shoved the biggest one away and then took off running for the house. And he's running as fast as he can and they're getting closer and closer. And he runs up the sidewalk towards his house, looks over his shoulder and all of a sudden those three bullies stopped and backed away. And he thought, wow, I finally made my point. Then he turned to walk up the steps into his house and behind the screen door, he saw his dad standing there. And he realized the bullies saw dad. And when they saw dad, they backed off. Let me tell you something. When you choose to trust God and follow his instructions, God will stand right there. And the battle becomes God's. And God takes it personal. And he will not let the enemy do the things, the lies that he throws in your face. He'll give you victory over those lies if you will trust God and believe him. Trust God. The battle belongs to the Lord. Number six, I've got to move quickly. Verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took the Philistine's own sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Number six. David knew the battle is the Lord's, but I still have to fight. The battle is the Lord's, but I still have to fight. What would have happened if David had stayed in camp with Saul and said, Oh no, God's going to give us battle. You just let the Philistine keep going. God will take care of him. God will take care of him. God, no, David knew it's God's battle, but somebody's got to go out in faith. God's given us authority in this life. Somebody's got to go out, look the enemy in the eye, and fight him, and God will give him victory. Friend, if you want to win battles, you got to fight. It's God's battle. It's God's victory. But we still have to fight with God's weapons. Last week, I mentioned the armor of God from Ephesians 6. And I want to go back to it for just a moment. Because Paul said, take up all of the armor of God. And once you've done all you can, stand there and trust God. In verse 17 of 
of Ephesians 6, Paul said, take the helmet of salvation. Think like a child of God. Think like a believer. Think like you believe this word is true. Let this word shape your thinking. Take and put on the helmet of one who's saved and washed in the blood of Jesus. Stand the knowledge knowing that God will not fail you. Trust him. And then he goes on to say, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you can defeat the devil. You can stop the lies. You can put him in his place and get him out of that area of your life. If you will fight the battle with God's spiritual weapons. First Timothy chapter six, Paul told Timothy, you need to fight the good fight of faith. You know what I've learned? If you'll fight the fight of faith, God will fight the rest of the battles for you because it's his battle. It's his battle, but we still have to fight. You know, it's, it's work fighting. It's work going to war. I was always growing up just a short, skinny kid, and my dad told me from the time I was a little kid, said, son, you need to be a lover, not a fighter. You're not built to fight. Growing up, I was never a fighter. I was a smart aleck, but I could run fast. I was never a fighter. But here's the thing. When it comes, when it comes to natural battles, I don't want to fight with you. But when it comes to the enemy and spiritual battles, when he gets in my face, I know how to fight. Friends, if we'll trust God and fight the battles of faith, God will fight the rest of the battle and give us victory in life. We need to fight for our faith. And the last thing, number seven, the last verse, verse 54. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. You know, I love the scene. David slings the stone and hits the, the Philistine right in the forehead, the only unprotected part of his armor, right in the forehead, and he falls to his face. David's not sure if he's dead or not, so David goes and takes his own sword, Goliath's sword, chops off Goliath's head, and walks back to camp with Goliath's armor and Goliath's head in his hand. Now, I love that picture. That's how I want to live. I want to live with the enemy's head in my hand because I've put him in his place by trusting God. That's how God wants us to live. That's how you become extraordinary, by learning how to carry the enemy's head in your hand. I love that picture. Heard somebody years ago ask the question, well, if David had so much faith, why did he take five stones? Scripture says he stopped by the brook and got five smooth stones. Why did he take five stones if he had such great faith? Why didn't he just take one stone? Read the story out and you'll find later on in history, Goliath had four brothers. He was prepared for the long haul if needs be. If you don't fight, you don't win. But number seven, David took Goliath's armor, put it in his tent, and took that nasty head of the giant and left it in Jerusalem. Number seven, David knew victory is better than defeat. Victory is better than defeat. You know, it's sad that a lot of people give up, don't fight. It's sad that even as Christians, some of us choose to live in defeat. We become complacent and we put up with it. We live below where God's word says we can live. But I believe today God is calling out to us saying, who will believe me? Who will rise up in faith 
and be extraordinary. If you want to win battles, you've got to fight. Several years ago, when I had first come back to California, 1988-89, you know, I grew up playing ball my whole life, and I was playing in two or three leagues at the time during the week while pastoring in Orange County. And I had some friends that I played with in this one league on Saturdays. It was a, a Christian league. It wasn't a church league, but it was a, a Christian league of all Christian guys. And there were five or six of, of the teams in the league. And the team I started playing with, they'd won the championship several years in a row. Good group of guys, nice guys, fun guys, good athletes. And I was honored to be playing ball with them. But, you know, I watched, and for the next couple of years, we won the championship while I was on the team as well. And I was just a part of the unit, the big picture. But we, we noticed there was a certain group of guys in that league that when they lost games and they lost the championship games, they just kind of like, oh, well, it's okay. It's all right. It's just a game. Now, I know we teach our children to be good losers when you lose a ball game. But one day after one of those games, we were talking about the attitude of the other team because it didn't seem to them, it didn't seem to matter to them. If they didn't win, big deal. And one of the guys on the team made the statement, and it stuck with me all these years. He said, you show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. You show me somebody who doesn't mind losing and living below where God says we can live, and I'll show you somebody who will always stay there. You know, for some of you today, you've listened to this message and you've known from the start there are areas of your life where you're living here and God says you can live here. We've run in a thousand directions. We've fought with all kinds of weapons, but we've never stopped to realize the ruts in my mind need to change. The attitudes of my heart need to change. I need to break it all up and let God rewrite it all with his word. And today you're realizing I need to fight. Just a minute, I want to pray with you. And I want to believe that God's going to show us how to win the battles that we face in this life. Physical, spiritual, material, mental, domestic, whatever the battle might be, God wants you to win. And I'm going to tell you something. With victory comes great reward, the spoils of war. Let me pray for you today. Father, I pray with every person right now who puts their faith in you. God, I ask you, first of all, to open up our eyes and let us see what you see. Let us know what you know. Encourage us to look at those areas of our lives where we're not seeing your word working, where we're not seeing your blessing fulfilled, where we don't see your promises developing. Father, let us see those areas of life and then give us your word, your promise. and Show us how to fight this battle of faith. God, I pray today that you would encourage people to rise up and say, I don't want to be ordinary. I want to be extraordinary. I want to see God do everything in my life that he said he could and would do. God, change our attitude. Plow up the ground of our hearts and help us to open up and be willing to let you do greater things for us and in us, through us. And Father, I pray for those right now who've listened to this and they've realized this, this all sounds wonderful but they're not really in relationship with you. And Father, I pray right now that as they open their hearts to you, as they wrap their hearts around these words and this prayer, that you begin to work in their lives, walk them into a brand new life. For by faith, we believe today that Jesus is the Son of God. 
He died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He now lives at the right hand of the Father forever. Father, today we accept Jesus as our Savior. We choose Jesus to become the Lord of our lives. We give our lives back to you. We choose to follow you all the days of our lives. God, come in and assure us that we're your children. You are our Father from this day forward. We will follow you. We will learn your ways. We will see your blessing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with us today, first time or maybe the first time in a long time you've been running from God, let me tell you something. That prayer is the most important prayer you pray in your entire life when you accept Jesus as your Savior and begin this relationship with God. You know, on your own screen there, on social media, there's different ways of responding to this today. But we'd love to stay in touch with you, give you some information, because that prayer is not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. We'd love to give you some more information that will help you learn how to walk with God and get you established in God and start seeing Him blessing every area of your life. Hey, we love you today. You know, I'm finished with my message, but before we go, I just want to share one more quick thought. At the end of our services, our, our streaming services, we always show you there are different ways you can give. We're not begging for money. We're not putting pressure on anyone. You're in the privacy of your own home. You make your own choices. But here's the point I want to make. You know, when, when God asks us to give, even in unusual seasons, when we give to God's work, you're not giving to me. You're not really giving to the Bridge Church. When you give to God's work, you're giving to God. When you're helping the poor, you're giving to God. When you give to the right causes, you're giving back to God. And God blesses it back into our lives. Scripture says that when I give to God and I put my money or my finances in God's hands, it actually becomes holy. You know, the last few weeks in this unusual season, every Sunday morning, Ann and I are up here when they distribute food during community care. And the line keeps growing and growing and growing. Last week, the cars were lined up all the way out almost to the street. And I walked down the line and just said hi to all the people who were there. Of course, I have my, my little mask on, you know, and keeping my six feet, one inch space between me and people. But just letting them know, hey, we're glad you're here. And I, I want to share this with you today. You know, last week we had a food drive. A lot of you gave a special offering for community care last week. I want to say thank you. When you give, that becomes holy and God blesses it. But I also want to tell you today, it is so thrilling to walk down that line and see so many people who are grateful, who are being blessed. And some of the folks even said, here, can you take a little offering to put in the church fund because we want to help others too. People have grateful hearts. And I, I just got to tell you today, I'm so thrilled to be pastoring this church. Ann and I, we love you guys. And we miss not seeing you face to face. In this unusual season, thank you for your financial support. And last thing, if, if you have financial need in this season, please let us help you with food. We can't meet a lot of needs, but we're reaching as many people as we can. Or when I say a lot of needs, major needs. We can't meet individual major needs, but we can help a lot of people with food in this season. Please, if you are in need, God's blessed us to be able to bless you. Don't ever be ashamed. Don't ever be embarrassed. Let us be a blessing to you. That's why we started this community care program anyway, is to be a blessing to people. So God bless you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for honoring God. Have a great, 
great week. Thanks again for joining us today for Church Online at the Bridge. We want to stay connected with you during this unusual season. So be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. There you can access all of the devotionals that we are sharing throughout the week. You can also see them on our website and the Bridge Church app. We love you, church. We are praying for you, standing with you, and believing for God's blessings in your life. Have an awesome week.